Welcome to the Face-Offs and Fantasies podcast with your two co-hosts, Sean and Marcus. Welcome back for episode number nine. We're almost at double digits, Marcus. We're almost there. <laughs> all this all this hard work's paying off, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm. How are you doing today, Marcus? Doing great. It's Monday. Ready <laughs> to podcast with you, Sean. Yep. Yeah. Not often you say... Uh, it's happy to be Monday, you know, but <laughs> in this case, it's nice to talk to you. It's nice. The to, hard uh, part's over the day. The Monday is over. It's Monday evening. Sorry. <laughs> we're already into Tuesday. That That's true. At this point, we're only a few hours away. It's pretty much Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. I already had to wake up, so it doesn't matter now. The hard part's done. Did you take a nap after work or something? No. Well, I meant like wake up for work. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. Waking up for work these days is, it's not always the easiest thing. Nope. Yeah, my little guy's not sleeping so great right now, so. <laughs> no? No, unfortunately not. So, yeah. Saturday night was brutal. He woke up every single hour for the entire night. Oh, damn. Yeah, it was it was rough. It was that rough does time. not sound good. Yep. Good thing he's cute as hell, though, because that's what saves him. That helps. <laughs> cute as hell. Yeah. If he was a demon baby, you probably wouldn't deal with it, just... Nope, not having this. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, like an actual demon baby. Like oh, from the well, ring or oh, whatever. Well, you know, I don't like scary movies, bro. Yeah, well, exactly. That's what I, I mean. You'd be out. I You're ain't like, nope. Ned, bro. I ain't Ned. That's his stuff, man. That's not my stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Not my thing. But yes, if that was the case, obviously, be... I'm, you're not gonna abandon a child, Sean. I was just joking. Well. Never know. <laughs> just just wanted to make that abundantly clear <laughs> to every single person listening that I, I would not do that. But uh, yeah, I know what you mean, man. It's, it's been it's been rough in that sense. So just lack of sleep. They they say is one of the worst forms of torture, right? Yeah. They say sleep deprivation is one of the worst forms of torture. And yeah, I would definitely agree. It's it's horrendous. It sucks. So at least mine is. You know, it's it's because of my baby. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know Marcus, that you love. don't sleep a lot, but maybe that's a little more self-inflicted. So I don't know, man. Those video games keep me up on purpose. What am I supposed <laughs> to do? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I guess you could turn off the PlayStation and, <laughs> and go to sleep, but uh, to each their own. To each their own. It is what it is. All righty. So first uh, topic that I want to discuss is uh, Connor McDavid. Is he getting better? So we all know, I'm sure we all saw the goal that he scored against uh, the Rangers. That was nuts. The 1v4, three minutes left in the game to tie it. That was insane. He scored another goal against Winnipeg that was also unreal this past week where he broke in and just just the speed. Like, you could see the stick handling. No one else could do what he does. And then he just, just casually goes to his forehand and tucks it in on the blocker side against Hellebuck and it just was so easy. You're like, man, this guy's just so good at hockey. And I feel like every year we talk about how amazing he is, but I swear this is the best he's ever been. Like I, I do truly think that he is getting better and, and this is the best version of Connor McDavid we've seen. I don't know if you have any opinions on that or not, but that certainly seems to be the case from my perspective. He's definitely hit his prime or he's in his prime. Like probably hit it last year where you know he averaged like two points a game around there and continuing he's just building off that yeah he was just shy of two points a game because he had i think it was like 103 points in 
about 60 games. Oh, okay. Something like that. Oh, terrible. <laughs> so probably closer to like 1.7 to 1.8 uh, points per game. But it's just crazy to consider that. And the fact that he's still only 24 years old, like you think about how many more years he has to develop and, and play in his prime. And it's like, well, when he becomes like 27, 28, is he going to be even better? You know what I mean? So the possibilities are endless, but to me, it certainly seems like he just continues to get better year after year. And this year is no joke. And say what you will about Leon Dreisaitl. I still think Connor McDavid is the better hockey player and they both are just going off this year. I was listening to uh, the Steve Dangle podcast and Adam Wilde asked the question to uh, the other two guys. And he said, do you think that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl's combined goal total will be more than the entire Arizona Coyotes hockey team? (laughs) (laughs) I was just laughing listening to that. So like the fact that this is even a conversation just goes to show how ridiculous of a season these guys are having right now. What did they say? Did they say no or yes? It was split. I think one of them said yes and one of them said no. But yeah, regardless, it's just, it is absolutely nuts what is going on right now for for these guys. And yeah, like I said, he is just next level. He is carrying that team absolutely. They continue to win hockey games and presumably will continue to win hockey games for the rest of the season. It's just, it must be so exciting as a fan in the context that a lot of games they're winning are like 6-5 and 5-4 and it sucks that they're giving up so many goals like they're actually not doing that great defensively and although their <laughs> goaltending has been fairly good this year it's still I'm pretty sure they've let up like four more goals on several occasions this year which for most hockey teams would be kind of a recipe for a bad season but with these guys playing the way they are right now it has not been an issue whatsoever. Yeah, they have a good chance when they score five goals, right? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I remember going off what you were saying about the Steve Dangle podcast. They talked about something similar last year with if like Jack Campbell would end up having more wins than the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> especially when he started off with that 11-game win streak. Yeah. And, yeah. and even he had the injuries and he actually did have more wins than the Buffalo Sabres. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I don't people forget numbers. Yeah. People but. forget because the Sabres haven't been as terrible this year as they were last year, but I'm sure I'm very confident that there will be maybe even a few goalies this year that potentially have more wins than the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens on that front. But speaking of extraordinary seasons, I think one thing that is getting kind of overshadowed right now is Alexander Ovechkin has 29 points in 18 games. He has 14 goals and 15 assists so far this season. He is in third place in the scoring race because Dreisaitl has 35 points and McDavid has 32 points. But McDavid at 32 points... Ovechkin's at 29. He's only three points behind McDavid. Thank God. I I got him on my fantasy team. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I feel like everyone is talking about how incredibly talented McDavid and Dreisaitl are in terms of this season. He's only three points behind McDavid. 
That's crazy because Ovechkin, to me, when I think of Ovechkin, I think of goal scorer. I don't necessarily think of like points getter. The fact that he has 29 points in 18 games seems crazy to me. Well, you know, he has to add or he has added other things to his game. He passes the puck and he shoots it amazingly. So, you know, he got you got to keep the teams guessing when you're playing against him. It gives him more space because they'll be like, oh, he may pass it. Then he just fires a rocket by the goalie. Yeah. Well, his office, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the hash marks there by the bottom of the circle. He just yep. every single time. Everybody knows that's where he's going to score his goals, but he does it every single time. So clearly it's too hard to stop. And even though teams know it's going to happen, it just continues to happen. But uh, one thing we should probably talk about is the fact that he's been playing with Kuznetsov this entire season because it looks like Backstrom's injury was a lot more serious than they had let on at the beginning of the year. I think uh, we both talked about how Kuznetsov was maybe a player to avoid in fantasy. Yeah, he's been having a... phenomenal season playing alongside Ovechkin so we were dead wrong on that front in terms of giving you advice on who to avoid in terms of Kuznetsov but I still do think that if Backstrom had come back earlier and he's still not back so it depends on when he comes back I feel like if Backstrom had come back sooner in the season then that would be something that would reflect good on our advice but for the time being Kuznetsov has totally stepped in is playing phenomenal and yeah so Apparently, we just don't know what the heck we're talking about, even though we have a podcast about it. Well, I mean, if it wasn't for the injury, then Backstrom would be playing amazing right now. <laughs> Marcus, if it wasn't for John Tavares' injury, the Leafs would have beat Montreal in the first. There you go, too. <laughs> I'm glad All we're on the same page. Still a lot of weight probably to those arguments, but they did not happen, so we cannot necessarily talk about them. We can hypothesize, but unfortunately, it is not the real deal. Well... Speaking of hypothesization, I would say I don't think it's about <laughs> hypothesizing now for Alex. If Alex Ovechkin is going to break Wayne Gretzky's goal record, it's more like when, not if, when. Yeah, like fingers crossed because I think you're right in the context of if he continues to play. It's honestly, it's just going to be injury related at this point. Or if there's another lockout or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy to think about that because Gretzky's had, what, four or five seasons of over 200 points. Like, there's no way Ovechkin's even remotely close to putting up that many points in a season, yet he actually has a chance to beat the overall goals record. I know. That's nuts. It's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah, he is by far, hands down, the best goal scorer of his generation, and arguably the best goal scorer of all time. And we'll see if he actually passes Gretzky in that regard. But he certainly knows how to put the puck in the back of the net and he is getting paid good money to do that. So, hey, good for him and good for Washington. And hopefully he continues that into the next five seasons because he signed a five-year extension with them. And it would be pretty cool to see that goals record being broken. Yeah, take it in now. Yeah. keep Watch him. Watch him all you can, right? Yep. Witness history in the making in the making exactly so yeah that's pretty cool i just want to shout him out because i feel like everyone's talking about mcdavid dry this year which you know with all due respect they should be but don't forget about ovechkin he only has three less points than mcdavid right now so that is pretty nuts to me is how amazing mcdavid is playing and ovechkin's only three points behind speaking of real though because we were talking about uh talking about how our hypothesis of if the leafs 
had not lost Tavares or if Backstrom was here and Kuznetsov wasn't getting all that playing time with Ovechkin, maybe he would be a bust. I wanted to jump into this next category of are they real or not follow-up edition. So what we did earlier in our podcast is we looked at some of the teams who had either hot starts or disappointing starts, and we were talking about whether we thought they were real or not. And I wanted to actually go back and I wanted to see how those teams are doing now, just so we had a better idea of where those teams are and kind of see how we did as hockey podcast hosts, Marcus. So here we go. This is what we're jumping into. So we're going to talk about hot starts first. So I'm going to mention some of the teams, what their original record was when we discussed it and where they're sitting at now. And you can tell me, Marcus, if you think that these teams are going to continue that trend or if you think that there's going to be some regression or more regression than there already is. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, so first team we've already talked about, Drysaddle McDavid enough, so why not start with Edmonton? They started this season 5-0. and They're currently 13-4, and so they're in first place in that Pacific division. What do you think about Edmonton, Marcus? They're continuing to be hot. Is it going to stay at this level? It's hard to say. I don't think so. I mean eventually you'd think maybe potentially that the goals may dry up or they may have a dry spell but as of right now it hasn't happened yeah like I I agree I think in terms of this team they clearly have enough talent that they're going to score a ton of goals to me it's just are they going to continue at the pace that they're going on because like you said, if at any point there's a bit of a dry up in terms of the amount of goals they score, I think they give up too many goals. So it really just depends if they can continue this pace. As of last night, they were in first place in the Pacific Division. I know that Calgary won yesterday, so technically Calgary is ahead of them with one additional point, but Edmonton has two games in hand. So in terms of points percentage, they are still the first place team in that division. And I'm just curious to know because Calgary is playing really well, but then the teams behind them, Anaheim and Vegas, like I don't know if those teams will catch up anytime soon because those teams have not, like Anaheim's doing really well, but I don't think Vegas is playing up to their potential just quite yet. That's very true. And then you got to ask yourself, or what Sheldon Keefe would ask, is this playoff hockey? Is this (laughs) going to win us games in the playoffs? I think we all know the answer to that, unfortunately. (laughs) The answer is no. Uh, that is not going to win you games in the playoffs. You can't you can't win games scoring 6-5, 5-4. Like you can't expect that to be the case in the playoffs, unfortunately. And I don't want to go too in-depth on that because there is a, a little bit of a talk later on that I want to go into discussing specifically the playoffs and how they work and how it's very different from the regular season. So I'm actually going to hold off on going too in-depth on that right now because I want to talk about that okay. a little later. So the next team, Marcus, is the San Jose Sharks. They started the season 4-0 including beating our hometown Toronto Maple Leafs in one of those four games. Now they are 8-8-1, eight, eight, and one, which means really they're 4-8-1 in, in their last 13 games. They are in sixth place in that Pacific Division. So they've certainly cooled off compared to the start of the year. Not hot. I know you said it was a farce, and I said it wasn't going to be sustainable, but they might be a little more competitive than last year. How do you feel about this Sharks team? I'm still sticking to it. I think that they're kind of now regressed or fallen to where they should be. Yeah, it was a hot start, but it's four games. You can go on a four-game win streak. <laughs> yeah, or the Leafs can go on a four-game losing streak. There you go. And then win 11 out of 13. 
could go either way. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. The one thing I will say about this team is I don't think they're quite the same bottom feeders as teams like Arizona, Seattle, and Vancouver. I do see them in a category or a tier just above those teams. Certainly, I would not consider them a playoff caliber hockey team, but they're certainly harder to play against than they have been in the last couple seasons. And one of the reasons for that is James Reimer. James Reimer is having a phenomenal season in San Jose. His numbers are ridiculously good right now. So if he continues to play that way, I certainly see them as more of kind of a tier above the real bottom feeders in the league. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think that this is going to be a playoff team by any stretch of the imagination. So you're saying they're like sixth, they not are, fifth, not bottom five. <laughs> I, they're sixth in their division. So that's in the Pacific. Vancouver and Seattle are in the same division. They're both below San Jose. And I see that continuing to be the case. Additionally, they have a game in hand on the Kings and they're only two points behind. So if they win that next game, they're actually tied with the Kings too. So like I said, I, I do see them above kind of those really bottom end teams. Like even if you're talking about the Senators, Canadians, Sabres, and then you look at the Kraken, Canucks, and Arizona, you know, we can talk about the Blackhawks as well. I I still think the that Chicago is going to bounce back a little bit. I don't think they're going to quite be as bad as the rest of those teams. But yeah, I think San Jose is more of like a middle to low end. So they don't deserve the first. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> if it was my rules of doing the lottery draft, they would not be in the bottom five and they would not be uh, fighting for that number one overall pick. So they should trade Reimer so they can try and get into those bottom five. Maybe. It's just, it's so, honestly, for San Jose, it's really tough because you can't rebuild yet because they have too many veterans with years left on their contracts. Like, you can't just get rid of Brent Burns and get rid of... Carlson. Carlson and get rid of Vlasic and get rid of even some of the guys they have on Ford that are a little bit older at this point. Like, there's a lot of players with term and big money contracts that I just don't think that they can move anytime soon. So as good as it would be to trade Reimer and get like any type of prospects or potentially picks back, I just don't know if they want to do that right now or if they're trying to more so retool and be a little more relevant. Because, yeah, that's going to be that's a really tricky situation. I don't know how you go about that as the general manager there, because I don't know that you can trade some of those contracts. So I feel like you're kind of stuck with them. You want to rebuild, but then you can't really rebuild because you're a little bit too good to be bottom five, but you're also not good enough to make the playoffs. They're really stuck in limbo there, I think. Yeah, there could just be, or the gym could feel like they're, they're only one or two pieces away from making the playoffs, right? It's certainly possible, uh, certainly possible, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be too thrilled to be, uh, to be a San Jose fan at this time. <laughs> so that's... Uh, yeah, Doug Wilson, by the way, he's the general manager there. So good luck to Doug Wilson, and we'll see what he does over the over the coming years. But certainly a tough spot. And I mentioned off the podcast to you, Marcus, but Tom, uh, Thomas Hurdle is also a free agent this summer. So losing him as the second-line center will be rough, but who knows if they'll be able to sign him because they're also in a bit of a cap bind with all those guys that they have signed. Not to mention Evander Kane. Who yeah, is almost Kane as well? <laughs> almost done serving his suspension, but by all accounts, I'm not really sure that the players in the dressing room want him back on the team. But then he's also getting paid seven million dollars a year for the next three years. So how do you just not bring him back? 
and I I don't see any team trading for him at this point. No, probably not. So I feel like that situation of Evander Kane itself is like the perfect example of where I see San Jose, <laughs> where it's what do you do? You can't really trade him, but you're also kind of in a tough spot. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't really see a resolution anytime soon, but I feel like maybe that's enough about the San Jose Sharks. Should we move on? Sure. Okay. Florida, they started the season 4-0, and they are 13-2-3. They're in first place in the Atlantic Division. I mean, say what you want, Marcus. I think this is an absolute juggernaut of a team. They're in first place. I'm hoping our Maple Leafs can catch them, and maybe Florida jumps down to second place instead of first place overall in that division. But, uh, yeah, I certainly called them to be a playoff team and i i really do stick by that i think that they're for real yeah i think i was in the same boat as you i think they are legit they're definitely continuing on from that 4-0 start and i don't know i i hope the leafs could catch them too i don't think it's as far off as you think especially because the leafs have won 11 of their last 13 games so right now we're actually only two points behind them so they have 29 points we have 27 now the biggest difference being that Florida has two games in hand. So if they win both of those games, then they're actually six points ahead of us. But, you know, they still have to win those games. So we'll see what happens. The one thing I will say, though, which is really nice for Florida, is Bobrovsky's hot start has continued. So that is really important for them since he is getting $11 million a year for at least the next five to six years. They needed him to bounce back, and it looks like he has. So if he continues that hot start and he continues to play that way the entire season, um, I think that this team is really going to be a Stanley Cup contender and a Stanley Cup maybe even favorite going into the playoffs. Well, I guess it's shaping up for a, another Vesna Bobrovsky season. Yeah. Right? It's it was It used to be one good season, one bad season, one good season, one bad season, and then kind of stumbled a little had like two bad seasons in a row and now he's back at it so you know what <laughs> i'll chalk that up to moving to a new city he you know he had to get used to moving from columbus to florida he, he needed like one <laughs> extra season just to get a little more comfortable now right, all that there. extra sun right yeah now he's there now he's part of it now the team is doing really well Th- that's the other thing too like don't forget how good the team is in front of him it's always easier to be a, a better goalie on a good team but uh, I'm not ready to crown him the Vesna Trophy winner because personally, I think it's going to be Jack Campbell. So our boy, our boy, Sue. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. So St. Louis Marcus started the season 3-0. and They're now 9-6-2. and So really, they're 6-6-2 six, six and two since that 3-0 and start. They were in first place in the Central for a while. Now they've, I don't want to say fallen, but they're in third place currently, technically tied for second. So um, it's not really that big of a deal but uh what do you think about st louis marcus yeah there that's about right i mean obviously i don't think they were gonna go 82 and 0 considering they started 3 and 0 so they're gonna lose some games but they're continuing to win some games too they're a very good team they have a lot of the same core that helped them win the cup a couple years ago so they you know they they know how to win they know how to win yeah no i certainly agree with you and they're they're such a deep team. For example, Vladimir Tarasenko came back. He had that serious shoulder surgery. He's now back with the team. You know, he had asked for the trade. That seems to be something that he still wants. But in the meantime, he's playing. And I don't think that trade's going to happen this season anyway. If it does, it'll probably happen in the offseason. 
but he's back. He is performing like he used to. He is definitely back on track. The depth on defense is crazy for them. You know, everybody kind of criticized them when they gave Justin Falk that extension because it had essentially pushed Petrangelo away from the team. You know, if you have Petrangelo over Falk, I think anybody would choose that. But at the end of the day, they still have Krug. They still have Falk. They still have Perrieko there as well. Like, that's a solid defensive crew. Not to mention some of the younger guys like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. Those are guys that are really stepping up for that team. And I feel like they're not getting enough due on forward. The fact that they have some of those younger guys meshing in and coming in and, and offsetting some of the veteran presence as well a little bit. So I just see that as a really loaded team in terms of depth. So I don't see them falling off the face of the planet. I think they're going to be competitive for the rest of the season. I do still see Colorado bouncing back. Colorado right now is only three points behind them, but with three games in hand. So I do think Colorado is going to end up jumping over some of these teams that uh, are currently ahead of them. I think Colorado will still end up first place in this division. But the thing is, this is a really tough division. Minnesota is also playing really good. Winnipeg is playing decent hockey. The Blues are in there. Nashville, surprisingly, is a really tough out every single night. And I really think that has a lot to do with UC Saros as the goaltender. He is an absolute stud in there. But I just don't see this as an easy division. So I see them as a playoff team, but I could also see them dropping a little bit where they would be more of a wild card spot as opposed to one of the top three spots in that division. Don't forget the year they won the Stanley Cup. They were last place (laughs) (laughs) in January. And, you know, they fought all the way back. Well, this time it was the opposite, though. They were in first place in the division for a while. Now they're slowly going down the other way. So hopefully they don't pull a full reverse of two years ago. (laughs) But just staying on that same topic of the central division, I just mentioned Minnesota. That was another team that started 3-0. They're now 11-6-1. They're currently in first place with 23 points. They have played the most games as well in that division. So a few of those teams, Winnipeg and St. Louis, uh, and even Colorado, like I said, Colorado has actually played four less games than them. So I think there's an opportunity for teams to catch up to Minnesota, but they've been playing some good hockey. They're still, they're surprisingly not as sound on defense this year. Like they have really good defensemen, but they've actually been giving up quite a few goals. Uh, The nice thing is they've been scoring goals too, though. So that's why you see their record as 11-6-1. and What do you think about Minnesota, Marcus? I didn't have them up there personally, Mm -hmm. but they've definitely shed kind of, that image that they had a couple seasons ago. Bill Guerin has put a stamp on the team, and they're very entertaining to watch. Like you said, they're scoring goals. They're not just playing a boring boring style of hockey. So Yeah. Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, Kaprizov, Fiala. They, uh, they have a, quite a few guys there that can put the puck in the net now. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be in first. I think, like you said, Colorado is starting to gain some steam from the start that they had and they can definitely jump a couple of these teams and I can see them definitely jumping Minnesota. Yeah. The, uh, the last person I should mention is Joel Erickson Eck. He's having a really oh, big yeah. kind of yeah. breakout season there in Minnesota. That's really good for them because they signed him to that long-term contract with the hope and expectation that he might break out a little bit in an offensive way. Uh, it certainly seems like they've, they're probably going to win that bet. So good for them. Um, next team, Carolina, 3-0. They're now 14-2. <laughs> so they're 11-2 after that 3-0 start. Wow, uh, this is a really talented hockey team, Marcus. What do you think? 
Yeah, they are very good. Very, very good. They're very deep on both ends of the ice. Yeah. And their goaltending, you know, I don't think, well, Freddie Anderson has lost a game, so he's not going to break Jack Campbell's record for Phew. starting a season, but he's still doing very well. The team is 14-2. and two. I don't know what else to say, but you can't really argue with those results right now. Nope. I don't think we, uh, I don't think we need to complain too much about that team. They're currently second overall in the standings, like in the entire league. And the only team ahead of them is Florida. And Florida only has one more point, and Carolina has two games in hand. So it's likely that Carolina will will leapfrog uh, Florida as well, and they'll be the first place overall team in the entire league. So, yeah, this team is loaded. We definitely both think that they are for real, and they are Stanley Cup contenders. I just really hope for their sake, and I really hope for Freddie Anderson's sake, that he plays well in the playoffs. Like for himself and for them. Um, unless they play against the Leafs. <laughs> but that was always the the slight knock on Freddie when he was here. Is he was a phenomenal goalie, made outstanding saves. But every year in the playoffs, he just he would always let in that one or maybe two like really weak goals at really bad times. And then mm-hmm. it would completely kill the morale of the team. So I really hope that the, the success he's having in the regular season can carry over because he's a great goalie. And, and I really do hope that he succeeds moving forward also he's staying healthy right staying healthy well now you just jinxed it marcus so <laughs> if you have freddie anderson you should trade him now because marcus just jinxed him and he's I'll gonna be him. out he's gonna be I'll out for him. the season i'll take him no that's all right you dropped sam sonov and i picked him up and since then he's had two shutouts so thanks marcus <laughs> you're welcome all right next team is the buffalo sabers they started the season three and one now they're seven eight and two seven eight and two so Certainly uh, cooled off quite a bit. They're four, seven, and two since that three and one start. I don't think either of us had this as a real thing in terms of the hot start or not. I think we both called them to regress quite a bit, and I think that that's happening. In terms of the team itself, I still do think that they are putting up way more of a fight than they were last year. So it's just nice to see them. I don't even like, I feel bad saying this, but actually caring about hockey games. So. Hopefully that continues. Hopefully the the rebuild, well, this new rebuild, I think they're calling this a new rebuild, even though they've been in a rebuild for a very long time now. Hopefully this new rebuild will be something that can get the Buffalo Sabres fans something that they can cheer for. Yeah, they're definitely not a pushover when you play them. Like you said, kind of like how Ottawa was and Ottawa is. They're not necessarily an easy win, which is good to see. And that's what you want to see from those lower... Lower in the standing teams, not as a, not as opposing team, but you want to see that from them that they're giving a dang about the guy, the game. You know, they they're not just there to collect a paycheck. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And they they actually have seven more points than the Ottawa Senators right now. So pretty pretty impressive overall in terms of that context. Um, so yeah, so moving on to the next team is the Rangers. So the New York Rangers, they are four. They started the season four, one and one. Sorry, they're currently eleven, four and three. So they've certainly continued that hot start, and they're in third place in the Metropolitan Division at the moment. And they have a pretty big lead on the fourth place team, um, a six point lead. So, what do you think of the Rangers, Marcus? It's good to see they told their fans a couple seasons ago that they're going into a rebuild. They were able to sign Panarin, and they've really turned it around. You know, they're in a tough division, and with that record, 
you know, you'd think they'd be higher than just third, but uh, unfortunately they've got teams like Carolina and Washington, uh, Washington and, you know, they're going to be playing the Islanders and Pittsburgh. And, you know, those are, those are five other teams, four other teams that are, that are definitely competing for those uh, playoff spots against them. So it's good to see that, that them being a younger team and have kind of did a rebuild only a couple seasons ago that they're succeeding now. And I think there's still more potential there because I see oh, yeah. guys like Capo and I see guys like Lafreniere, Lafreniere and yeah. I feel like there's, they still have another gear to find. So oh, yeah. if those guys were to develop a little bit more also, I, f- I feel like that would be incredibly timely for the Rangers because those guys are still in their entry level deals. So if you get a little more production out of those guys now before you have to pay them, I feel like that would be something that would be very helpful because we all know how, you know, Kreider and Panarin and Zabinijad, all those guys are playing well still and putting up enough points. And uh, shout out to Adam Fox because that dude is an absolute stud on defense. Yeah, that helps That helps to rebuild a lot to get a Norris defenseman. Yeah, <laughs> certainly helps out. And actually, by all accounts, it sounds like Shesterkin has been their best player. So their goaltender has been keeping them in a lot of games and maybe stealing them some games as well. So he'll have to keep up that pace, I think, if they're going to keep putting up the numbers they're putting up. But it's certainly possible. I don't see this as a team that's going to falter too significantly. But like like you said, the really tough part is they're just in a hard division. So I'm looking at this from fourth place to seventh place in this division. There's two teams with 19 points and two teams with 18 points. Wow. So this division by no means is out of it. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to go right down to the wire, I think. This division is going to be tight. Yeah. Tight race yeah. all the way through. Because there's also, what, Philly in there? Philly. New Jersey's playing a lot better than before. Jersey, Columbus yeah. is having a reasonable Columbus. Uh, bounce back season. Pittsburgh and the Islanders. The Islanders yeah. are in eighth place in this division right wow. now. They're in last <laughs> place right now. Um, so I actually have them as a team to discuss in a little bit. So why don't we just – would you want to just yeah. talk about them right now since we're sure. here? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So I had put new teams to discuss at the bottom. So the Islanders was one of those teams. They're currently 5-8-2. They only have 12 points in 15 games. And they're in last place right now. They're in eighth place in that Metropolitan Division. I picked them to make the playoffs. I picked them to be second place, I think, in this division. Uh, Marcus, I don't know if you picked them to be in the top three, but I think you probably discussed them as pro- as a playoff team, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, I, I don't remember where I had put them exactly, but definitely I, I, I thought or I'm thinking that they are, they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, so that's that's something to me that is pretty crazy, and I will cut them some slack here because they've only played two home games so far on the season. They just moved into their new arena this past weekend, Marcus, so they've only played two home games. Mm. So that means of all of the games they've was played. Was the Leafs game? The Leafs game their... was the second game that they oh, played at home. Okay. Yeah, so they just this weekend was the very first time. So unfortunately, they lost both games at home to start the season. But this is a team that I think once they get a little more comfortable in the new building and they're going to have a lot more home games and kind of catch up on that compared to some other people. So I think that that will help them down the road. I think this team will bounce back a bit. The really tough thing when it comes to the Islanders, and everyone talks about this, they're built for the playoffs, which is great if you make the playoffs. But we'll see what happens because right now they're in a really tough hole that they need to dig themselves out of 
because Carolina has 28 points in first place. Washington has 27 points in second place. And the Rangers have 25 points in third place. The Islanders only have 12. They're 13 points behind the Rangers. Marcus, they don't even have 13 points. And that's the third place team in the division. They're 16 points behind the Carolina Hurricanes. So this team should be in panic mode right now. And I'm hoping that catching up on all those home starts will help them out a little bit. But this is one of those scenarios where, yep, this is a team built for the playoffs. But what happens if you don't make the playoffs? Yeah, you make a very good point. Yeah, I mean, the the season's still kind of young. So, yeah, they should be, you know, starting to panic a little. But I think if they, you know, just put together a couple win streaks, they're back in it. It's 16 points or 13 points is can be done you know you you get a five game win streak that's that's 10 points right there then you win three of six <laughs> you know i mean yes the other teams then technically played uh, 11 games or whatever i just named but yeah for them i think it's doable especially how they've been the past couple seasons i'm not too worried all right so you still see them as a playoff team yeah i think they can still make the playoffs all right I'm worried about this team. I'm not sure if they're going to make the playoffs. I think uh, I think those are some pretty crazy numbers to have to try to catch up to some of those other teams. And the thing is, and the reason why I'm hesitant about calling this a playoff team right now is it's not even about the Islanders. I just don't see Carolina. I don't see Washington. And I really see whether it be the Rangers or Philly or Pittsburgh or any of those teams, I really just don't see those teams slowing down anytime soon. So it's not about making up the points necessarily. It's who you're trying to make up the points against. That's true. And I, I just, I cannot see this team even coming remotely close to either Carolina or Washington or potentially even the Rangers at this time. So we'll see yeah, what happens. They, they don't have to catch them per se. They just have to get to the wild card. The wild card. Yeah. Wild card spot would work for sure. Wild card spot Which would work for sure. Which it could be the top five in their division, right? Yeah, it could potentially be the top five in their division. As of right now, it would be um, all. Yeah, I guess it actually would be at this time. Philadelphia and then the New Jersey Devils would round out the the wild card spots with uh, twenty points. Yeah, so, as of right now. Yeah, no, no. So, obviously, that's fair. I mean, like I said, I, I I think it's still early in the season that they can come back. I think any team can put together some wins and you know make a playoff run. I don't think any team is quite out of it, maybe other than Arizona. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a rough team. We'll we'll talk about that also. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. <laughs> in a minute here, but uh yeah, that's that's a rough go. Uh so going to the disappointing starts, that that was one of the teams I want to talk about um in a second, but Arizona, we may as well since we're here, we may as well do it. They started the season 0-3-1. They're four thirteen and two. Four thirteen and two. They have fifteen losses and four wins on the season. Now, Marcus, here is the one thing I can say about the Arizona Coyotes in terms of optimism. In their last four games, they are three zero and one. See, they, three, if they can oh, win one. three three games and yeah. get a point on one in one of them. <laughs> it's not impossible 
it's not impossible. The biggest difference between Arizona and well, not I'll say the biggest difference because there's a lot of differences between the Islanders and the and the Coyotes is that the Coyotes want to be bad so that all of those draft picks they have in the next couple of seasons are high draft picks, whereas the Islanders are looking to make the playoffs and trying to win the Stanley Cup. So the biggest difference is expectations, I would say. But I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, Jacob Chikrin is starting to heat up and that the Arizona Coyotes are 3-0-1 in their last four games. So hopefully he bounces back for me in fantasy because... Good thing you didn't drop him. He had a slow start. I know I was close. I actually, I it was between him and Provorov, and I decided to drop Provorov. So I'm happy with my decision. Okay, next team, Montreal Canadiens, 0-5 to start the season. That was extremely disappointing. They're now 5-13-2. So uh, they're still 5-8-2, which means they have five wins and 10 losses in their last 15 games, not including that start that they had at 0-5. So uh man they're in seventh place the only team behind them is the ottawa senators who are having a downright terrible season but montreal marcus is not looking good and i do not see a light at the end of this tunnel i think that this i called i said at the beginning that i thought that their bad start was for real and i did not see them turning it around or making the playoffs not to throw you under the bus but i do believe you said that they would be fighting for a playoff spot has your mind changed at all since then yeah i mean definitely by how they've been playing it's it's not looking good it doesn't help they don't have carry price and there's no real timeline as to when he's going to return and then also they're missing like Shea Weber he's a huge part of their defensive core last season I mean they're gonna have to learn to live without him and um, hopefully you know they can figure out a way to get the puck out of their zone yeah, I I was wrong. I mean, I thought they would be doing a little better, but I guess not. Maybe they are that 0-5 is kind of showing where they would be. Yeah. I mean, we you know, we we all make mistakes, Marcus. We can't be perfect when we make our early season predictions. That's why they're early season predictions. It is what it is. I don't think most people have this team being as bad as they are. I certainly don't think that a lot of people have them this low in the standings, but you know, I, I do go back to, I really do think that they got quote unquote lucky the last two seasons with just the way that it all worked out with COVID and they should not have made the playoffs two years ago for the bubble. They seriously were like what 24th in the league at that time. And they only made it because of the play in round. And then even last year, if it wasn't for that Canadian division and it wasn't for the fact that they played Vancouver so much early in the season, I still don't think they would have made the playoffs last year. So all of that playoff success that they had over the last two seasons is great, but I feel like it also kind of shot them in the foot because they kept building on that same team that now I think they're realizing wasn't necessarily a very good team to begin with. All, you know, in terms of making the finals last year, they had a great run and there's no nothing we can do to take that away from them. But in all fairness, I still don't think that they should have beat the Leafs in the first round, which means anything after that to me was just because they ended up getting hot and they ended up playing really well defensively from then on out. And Carey Price was Carey Price. So we'll see where it goes from here. But based on their standings in the regular season from the last two seasons, and now we see them here at 4-13-2, I just don't think this is a very well put together team. 
I just don't see this as a very strong team. And I think, uh, sorry, they, they are uh, five, 13 and two. I apologize. I believe I said four, 13 and two. So just got to give them that respect of one extra win. So five, 13 and two. So man, do you know what I just realized, Marcus squirrel? Um, they're five, 13 and two Arizona is four, 13 and two. They literally have one more win than Arizona. And that is it. No way. Wow. How has that comparison not been made at all? Holy moly. That is crazy. Well, last place isn't that far away. eh? (laughs) That is crazy. Oh my gosh. That's nuts. Wow. That's uh, that's exceptionally bad hockey for them. So if Arizona wins, they've at least they've done better than 0 and 5. They yeah, started at it, 1 5 and now they're they went 5 8 and 2. So if Arizona wins their next hockey game, then they're tied. They have the exact same record as the Montreal Canadiens. Can you imagine at the start of this season making the comparison that Arizona would have the same record as Montreal? Whew. Yeah. That is did, bad. Uh, did No, no, they got uh, I was going to say did Arizona get Montreal's first round, but I think they got uh uh, yeah, Carolina's, Carolina's first round. Yeah, yeah, it was Carolina's. That that trade was the picks that the Montreal got from Carolina in the Kokanemi signing sheet. Um, yeah, that went sheet. straight to uh, straight to Arizona. So yeah, no, that was Carolina's, which sucks because that's going to be probably a thirty-first or thirty-second overall pick at this point, um, unless they disappoint in the playoffs. But we'll see what happens. Anyways, I kind of lost my train of thought because I was talking about Montreal regular season and how bad they've done over the last couple seasons. And then I just realized that they literally have one more win than Arizona. Otherwise, their records are exactly the same. And that just really shocked me. That is crazy. I know that Montreal had a very poor start to the season, but I did not realize how bad of a poor start that they had to the season. So anyways, moving on to the next couple teams here is uh, Chicago. They started 0-4-1, so that was a really poor start. They waited a long time to get their first win, Marcus. Now they're 6-10-2, so essentially they're 6-12 on the season. So considering how bad their start was, they are starting to put some wins together. And most notably, in my opinion, is you can see the last four or five games from Marc-Andre Fleury have been Marc-Andre Fleury, like the real Marc-Andre Fleury, not whoever the heck wore Marc-Andre Fleury's jersey and started the first 10 games of the season. So I'm happy to see that. I think if he continues to play the way he's playing, that he will end up being that veteran goalie for Team Canada. And uh, I don't know what you think or how you feel about Chicago at this point, Marcus, but as bad as it was for me to say they would finish second overall in that division, I do see them as a team that makes a little bit more of a push and potentially is fighting for a wildcard spot near the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Sean, I think I think this season's still very young. Things can change pretty easily. You know, you go like you said, you see Arizona went on they went three oh and one and now they're only two points back from Montreal. So it's <laughs> pretty low bar. Yeah. It's <laughs> like I think right now it's it's still very early to, to say a team's totally out of it. Oh, not totally out of it, but we're making predictions right now, Marcus. That's what we're doing, right? So I want to know what you think. Do you think Chicago is going to end up fighting for a playoff spot or do you think they're going to not be in a playoff spot and be near the bottom half of the league still? And you can change your mind in a couple months when we talk about this again. Sure. They're going to fight for a playoff spot. 
<laughs> you sound you sound very convinced about that. So that's great. Um, okay, moving on to the next team. The next two teams actually would be Vegas and Colorado. So both of these teams, Vegas was one and three. They had a really poor start. They were like 500 hockey for a while. They're now 11 and seven. So they've gone to four games above 500, which is good in terms of their record. That kind of helps. Now they're currently losing tonight. So we'll see uh, how that changes. But Vegas certainly has bounced back quite a bit since that slow start they had. And similarly with Colorado, they were one and three. Now they're eight, five and one. The nice thing about Colorado, like we were talking about earlier, is they have like at least three games in hand above all the teams above them in that division. So once they catch up in terms of games played, I see them as being one of the top teams in that division. Same thing with Vegas. I think that we all know now that Jack Eichel ended up getting his surgery and they said it was a successful surgery. And now at this point, his rehab is anywhere from three to five months. Once he's back, I think that's going to make a huge difference for this team because he's going to be the number one center, but it also pushes depth down all the way. So then all of a sudden Chandler Stevenson becomes either the second or third line center. And William Carlson is also playing center for that team. So all of a sudden one of those guys is going to be a third line center. That depth is way significantly better than anything they have right now. So I still see Vegas making a push and challenging both Calgary and Edmonton for the top spot in that in that division. And then I also see Colorado pushing for a top spot against Minnesota and co in their central division as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can go on a <laughs> win game, a couple wins, did some, put together some wins and next thing you know, you're back on track. So it's, as uh, they said in Steve Dangle podcast, it's like panic season or, or whatever they're calling it in October. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I think maybe some of that is some residuals from last year, like knowing that last year was only 60 games. So if you were to look at records now and you're like, oh, they only have, you know, 40 games to catch up instead of now it being 82 game season. So they have 60 games to catch up. It does make a really big difference. So maybe my mentality is still thinking that this is only a 60 game season when really it is going back to that 82 game season. Mm -hmm. So I know what you mean in terms of there being more time. We made predictions at the beginning of the year and now we're just either doubling down or we're reversing kind of our logic, right? So it's just fun to talk about and hypothesize and, and to see where we think these teams will end up going based on the results we're seeing at this time. So yeah, we'll see where it goes. We'll see who ends up having more correct answers from the beginning of the year to all the way at the end of the season, Marcus. But for the time being, those are uh, some of the teams and where they were and where they are now and kind of where we see them going moving down into the future. The only other team I really wanted to talk about here, Marcus, was Anaheim. They're 10-5-3. They're currently third place in that Pacific division. I think they're playing really good hockey. I think they have a great mix of veteran slash young style rookies who are playing really good together. Ryan Getzlav looks like he's 25 again. This guy's putting up ridiculous numbers in terms of points, which is fantastic. Uh, Zegris and Terry, Troy Terry. These kids are putting up lots of points and they're actually putting up goals and particularly getting points in very high pressure situations, like in games that are close, in games in the third period where they're scoring close to the end or in overtime where they're getting the overtime winners. So it's nice to see that they kind of have the instincts that they have to be able to close out and finish games. I think with John Gibson and net, this team can certainly continue to push for a playoff spot. And I think that they've kind of turned a bit of a corner here. 
compared to the LA Kings and San Jose Sharks. Anaheim certainly seems like the best California team at this time. So I just wanted to shut them out because I feel like they're not getting enough love right now. Even going through fantasy, like I was looking at people who are available and this week Anaheim is one of the teams that has a few games. So I was looking at some of the players and a lot of them are still not really being owned in most leagues. So this is a team that's just not getting a whole lot of respect right now because I think people are expecting them to drop all the way to the bottom of the standings. And I just don't see that happening at this point. For sure. They're in a weak division. They're definitely, you know, taking advantage of the Canucks, Seattle, um, some of the other teams in there. So they, they definitely, there's opportunity. Like you said, that they're probably the best team of the Californian teams right now. So kudos to them. They're taking advantage and they're, you know, they're in a playoff spot right now. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to the next section of the podcast. Marcus, what if I were to tell you to shut up and stop complaining? What would you think? <laughs> Are we talking about draft? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> draft percentages, draft lottery? Yeah. Uh, no, we're not talking about that, but that was a very good, uh, very good joke. No, I am referring to John Tortorella's comments in regards to Connor McDavid. So recently, John Tortorella, there was an interview with him where he was talking about how Connor McDavid and a lot of people, I guess, in hockey now are complaining that McDavid is not drawing enough penalties. And so the logic behind this is quite simple. He is by far and away the best hockey player in the world in terms of individual skill set. He is one of the best skaters in the league. His hand-eye coordination and like just stick skill in general is off the charts. And so people have been looking at some of the underlying numbers and realizing that he is so good, yet it seems odd that more penalties aren't being called against him. And in particular, there's this kind of conversation around protecting stars in the league. So they're thinking that maybe people are getting away with some like stick related penalties on him, whether it be cross checking or hooking or slashing because he's just so good and so fast that it would almost seem impossible because you would have to call a penalty every single shift or not call any at all. And so right now the complaint is that there are not being enough penalties called against Connor McDavid when he's on the ice. And John Tortorella's response to that was shut up and don't complain about it. He's literally saying that McDavid needs to stop whining and stop complaining about it. And people around the league need to do the same thing. John Tortorella is a very long tenured coach with a big and long track record of success in the NHL. So it's one thing to just kind of dismiss it without talking about it because of who he is and the weight that he kind of has within the hockey community. But I really see this more as maybe kind of an old school mentality comment versus some of the newer style where people are thinking that the game needs to move away from some of this rough and tumbling and just accept and be happy with the fact that there is more speed and more skill than ever before in the game. And so maybe we just need to recognize that and let that flourish a little bit. So I just wanted to give a bit of a background in terms of the situation as a whole. So for me, hearing John Torrell talk about this and shut up and don't complain, it reminds me very much of the contrast the very large difference and contrast between regular season hockey and playoff hockey and what i mean by that is quite simple anybody who watches hockey knows 
once we hit playoffs, the whistles go away. Tough teams get away with a lot more. Less penalties are called. And this is where teams like the New York Islanders or the Boston Bruins or some of these bigger, stronger teams will physically intimidate and physically beat the poop out of each other to the point where they're breaking down players on the other team. This is something that is very much common knowledge. And I think that this comment by John Tortorella just stirs up this conversation a little bit more. And this is where, to me, it goes beyond just telling McDavid to stop complaining, which, by the way, I think is really dumb. He is the best player in the world, and if people are taking advantage of that and using their sticks, then there should be more penalty calls against him, and that's just the way that it should be because if there's a penalty, then call the penalty. Pretty simple, right? Unfortunately, that's not happening, and so because this is the sort of mentality in hockey, and it's common knowledge, like I said, it goes to show that maybe this problem runs deeper. For example, the last couple of postseasons, we have seen a real dip in the production of players like Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. If I were to ask you, Marcus, Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, where would you rank them? Just talking in general about you know regular season success, where would you rank these guys in the whole league as players? Top 10, top 5. Top 10, potentially top five, certainly top 20, right? Yeah. In terms of ability to score goals, get assists, and just overall create opportunity, create points for their teams. If we're now talking about players like Connor McDavid not getting calls in the playoffs and teams like the Edmonton Oilers being knocked out because they're unable to get those wins when they need to get wins, and then you start thinking about, okay, well, what about guys like Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews? And this is where this thought process came to me is, Is it these players not being quote-unquote clutch? Or is it maybe the bigger conversation that the league needs to recognize that if all of these players, talking about Marner, talking about Matthews, talking about uh, McDavid, if they're so good in the regular season that they're perennial top five to top ten players on most people's lists, why are they not all having playoff success? Is this starting to become a trend where we're starting to see guys that are easily top 10 to top 20 players in the league being held back because of the way the league is calling games come playoff time. And I'm starting to think that this is becoming a bigger issue. And with the game heading towards more skill, more speed, more about the individual abilities and possibilities of some of these guys, I don't know that it's a coincidence anymore thinking back on it and reflecting on it, that it's these players not showing up in the playoffs so much as it is the league failing these players when it comes to giving them the opportunities to succeed in these situations. So to me, I see the comments by John Tortorella as another way of that old school mentality of hockey where we're talking about it in the context of other things like sexual assault allegations and you know keeping quiet when you shouldn't. And we're starting to see a bit of a shift in the culture of general management. And when it comes to executive roles within these leagues, is there maybe a conversation that needs to be had about not just management and not just those upper executives, but also how the game itself is evolving or how it should be evolving moving forward? 
Now, I'm not trying to bring up a whole debate on should there be, you know, contact or should there be fighting or shouldn't there be fighting. I'm merely suggesting that it seems improbable and unrealistic that guys like Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, McDavid are having such a hard time finding success in the playoffs, considering how easy it is for them to find success in the regular season. And so comments like this by John Tortorella, I'm sorry, but I wholeheartedly disagree with John Tortorella on this. I think it's actually on the league to try to recognize and see that they are not only putting their star players in positions where they could potentially get injured, but they're hindering the ability for fans to enjoy the magic and the skill and the outright raw talent that these guys possess. Let them play. Let them fly down the ice. Let them get six power plays a game because there's a bunch of guys who are doing stupid things on the ice that should be called penalties. Can you imagine if hockey games were like 7-6 all the time or like 8-5 all the time? How much fun it would be for people to be able to watch all of those goals and see all those goals and see the highlight real talent that's going on? How is it that every year we see goals like this in the regular season, but then come playoff time, it's always shut down defense and banging in rebounds and all that kind of stuff. I almost wonder if there needs to be a reckoning, not just on the executive management side, but maybe this is the start of a conversation where we need to start realizing that the game itself is in an evolutionary standpoint. And maybe we need to let players who are way more skilled flourish a little bit more. And maybe that the refereeing and maybe some of the calls that are being made should actually be beneficial to the best players in your leagues and not just the everyday average Joes who are considered tough guys or something like that. Now, I don't know if this will be a popular opinion or not, or if this is something that's considered outside the box, but I'm certainly curious to hear what you have to think about that, Marcus. What do you think about this kind of theory that I'm bringing up here? I think you make some really good points. I do agree with you in that, you know, if it's a penalty against Connor McDavid, it should be called a penalty. It, it, I don't think that they should put their whistle away just because he's the best player. I agree with you there. Uh, I I don't know about you saying that because they ref differently in the playoffs, this is the reason why Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews aren't scoring. I don't I don't want to give them that out. I don't think that's the reason. I think you you still see you've seen Sidney Crosby put up points in the playoffs. You see Alex Ovechkin put up points in the playoffs. I don't I, I'm not I'm not I'm just saying I don't think we should give Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews an out just because you know they they're getting roughed up a little more in in the playoffs. Yes, I mean obviously I agree. The league should be fostering their superstar talent and ensuring that fans get to watch the best players be the best players. Uh, obviously, you don't want to see just everybody just grabbing and holding on to Connor McDavid as he tries to streak down the ice and then him getting tripped and then no calls or anything like that. That's obviously not good. You want to see refing consistently uh, making the right calls and everything. Uh, and you want to see the talent being able to flourish and perform. So I do agree with you in some some of those some of your points. Uh, but I I I I'm not gonna give Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews an out. You know they they just aren't they just didn't perform in the playoffs. And as much as I want them to, you, you look at the other stars who've won Stanley Cups and who've you know broken through and 
made it to further rounds and the Stanley Cup playoffs and everything. They put up the points. That it's just you know whatever it may be. Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews haven't been able to do that yet, and they're still very young. So maybe it's some mental block, but I think they can definitely work through it. And I hope that this is their year. But yeah, with John Tortorella saying you know shut up and don't complain. Yeah, I, I don't think that's necessary. Like you said, I think that's a old school mentality of thought. Uh, I don't know if if was it Connor McDavid that said like he's not getting calls or was it uh, another point or I don't I don't know how that conversation came up, but I'm sure the Edmonton Oilers are lobbying to the league, telling them you know you guys got to make uh, calls like the correct calls, whether it be against Connor McDavid. Or if Connor McDavid uh, made a penalty, you got to call it, right? It's not, they're, they're asking just for a fair game uh, to be refed. And because he's fast and touching the puck and everything, I'm sure he's getting a lot more slashes, a lot more, you know, sticks around his legs, potentially tripping him and hooks and, and interference and all those kind of penalties. So, oh, yeah, I hear you, man. No, it makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Maybe I'm, just being a little hopeful in the context of trying to give, um, I don't want to say an excuse, but maybe at least a bit of a reasoning for why some of these guys, it, it just seems so odd to me that they're so perennially good throughout all of the regular season for years after years after years. And then all of a sudden in the playoffs, it just dries up and it could be mental. It could be individual. It could be in that context, all of those things. But it just seems so odd to me that they can be so consistently good throughout the regular season and be able to put up as many points as they do. And then all of a sudden, the game changes so much and then they're not producing anymore. There has to be some type of connection, in my opinion, of course. I'm not speaking on behalf of everybody. I'm sure teams zero in on them too, right? Like they're playing that much harder against them. But you don't think that happens in the regular season already? You don't think teams who come and play against the Toronto Maple Leafs don't say, okay, the number one guy here, we got it. We got to look out for Austin Matthews because he's going to be the one scoring the goals. Oh, I'm sure I'm not, I'm not doubting that, but you know, when, when the playoffs, it becomes more of a, like a half court game, you're, you're dumping the puck and you're not, you're not, it's not just speed where you can just break out and everything. So they're able to put more men in front of Austin Matthews, in front of Mitch Marner, and, you know, body them out. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate that they, that's not how it's called in the regular season. So maybe they would get used to it and know how to score more or be more productive in the playoffs because they, it's called the same way in the regular season. But I think their game is also a very speedy game, just like Connor McDavid, where you know you need that open ice or giving them that open open ice allows them to really show off their game and produce points. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I agree with you here, though, because I don't think that teams aren't trying to do that during the regular season. Like, I, I wholeheartedly believe that defensive plans are put in place. Maybe it takes a certain number of games for them to feel confident in terms of how they're doing it, but I... I can't imagine that every single team that plays against the Edmonton Oilers doesn't come up with some type of strategy where they're saying, okay, we need to, we need to stop Connor McDavid from getting too much open ice, or we need to all be behind him when he has the puck. Like, I don't think strategies change from regular seasons in the playoffs in the context of we need to zone in on certain guys. 
I think the reason it changes so significantly is because teams know that they can get away with more when it comes to the playoffs. And that's why there's such a drastic change. Because I just, I'm sorry, but I don't believe that teams are saying, oh, during the regular season, it's okay. Give McDavid his ice. If he scores goals, he scores goals. And then in the playoffs, all of a sudden, they're like, okay, enough's enough. We've given him enough free lane, and now we're going to start trying. You know what I mean? So the only thing I could definitely agree with you on is the context of maybe the actual competition gets stiffer because once you get to the playoffs, it is theoretically the better teams that are left. And so playing against those teams seven times in a row where they can kind of start to pick up on some of your trends. I could certainly see that being part of the case of how they can shut down some of these guys a little bit easier as the series go on. But in terms of the regular season, like I feel like you're not giving enough credit to the coaches and the plans that they have to try to stop guys during the regular season. Cause I don't see it as all of a sudden it's a completely different mentality well, in the playoffs and strategy wise. No, I mean, obviously, they're going to try and stop them. I'm not saying they don't give a shit during the regular season. I'm just saying that, you know, they're, <laughs> it, it kind they of have more like <laughs> time to just focus on that one team and develop the game plan. Like you said, it's seven games or even just four games. Even if you only have four games, you still, you know, you're going to play this game in two nights or, in, you know, the next night. It's not like, oh, we're playing them one week and then we're going to we're going to see them in three months again. Yeah. Right. So you can really build your game plan. I'm. It's like you don't have to worry about the opponents after. It's just this this opponent for the next four games, seven games. You you know you 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 get to watch as much video as you can on how they move the puck around on the power play. You get to watch what they do on the penalty kill. You got to see how they break out. You know you could see that Montreal would you know, force the Leafs to move the puck as soon as possible or as soon as they got it and crash them into the board. So the Leafs were used to having more time in the regular season. Are you going to say, no, they didn't have more time in their zone to move the puck out? Like Montreal pressured them a lot harder than what they were used to in the regular season. Yeah. Right? Uh, They built a a game plan. But if, if that's the success against the Toronto Maple Leafs, why isn't every single team during the regular season playing the Leafs like that? Well, again, like you said, there. Well, there is part of it's the refing. You can't just throw that late hit on them, and you know you're gonna get away with it. Unfortunately, yes, this is this is the NHL, and this is how the playoffs is refed. I understand that maybe you're calling for a change here, and they should ref the games as however they're gonna ref it in the playoffs, so that way, you know, it's all consistency. But I don't, I don't think that's gonna change. Yeah, and I guess that's what I am doing is here. I'm calling for that change, or at least I'm calling for the conversation to come back up again because you're using the Montreal Canadiens as an example, and and I agree with you. They did a lot of things to help shut down the Leafs, but you know what else they did? Do you know how many times Shea Weber literally punched a guy or cross-checked a guy or nailed a guy into the boards after the play or after the whistle? He literally manhandled guys where any of those things in the regular season are a friggin' penalty. So obviously that's going to be in the back of the minds of a lot of these players as they're going in and playing in the playoffs. So maybe you're right, Marcus, maybe in that context, it should just be call the regular season like you do the playoffs. So maybe it's not changing the way you call the playoffs to match how you've been refing during the regular season. Maybe it's changing the way you ref during the regular season to match how you actually ref in the playoffs. So that way, like you said, at least it gives guys and teams the opportunity to see it and to practice like that and to understand it before they get to the playoffs because right now to me it's that drastic difference between how the game is 
played and called during the regular season versus the playoffs. It just seems so crazy to me that a team like the Leafs can be so successful and so good during the regular season and individual players like Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews can be so effective and so dangerous through 82 consecutive games. For 82 games, they're that good. And then all of a sudden in the first round between five to seven games, nothing. So it's just crazy to me as a concept because then you even bring in, you know, North American playoffs versus European like soccer where they don't even have playoffs. It's just whoever the best team is during the regular season is the team that wins the championship because throughout the whole season, they were the best team from start to finish, right? So we don't need to open up that can of worms. I don't think that needs to be a conversation right now because I think most people in North America love playoffs and the intensity that it brings. But I certainly think that this comment by John Tortorella is almost like a bit of a microcosm or, or a micro kind of start to this conversation of he's saying this because he's been successful in the league and he knows how to win in the playoffs. But I don't know if I necessarily agree with that being the way that it is being done. I feel like they need to change that. And you know what? You're right. I've been talking this whole time that the playoffs should match the way that the regular season has been refereed. But maybe you're right. Maybe it should be the same way it is called in the playoffs. But then to your same point, I agree. Then they should at least ref the regular season more like they ref the playoffs so that there is consistency from start to finish in those kind of games. Because it's just crazy to me that so many of these stars just all of a sudden vanish and disappear in the playoffs. Sure, it could be individual. Sure, it could be some type of mental block or they just need to push through that one time and then they'll find the success. And like you said, a lot of these guys are young, like Matthews and McDavid. I think they're both 24 years old. So they're pretty young guys still and they have the opportunity to bounce back and to change that. But I still feel like part of this is on the league in the context of you want your biggest stars to be performing in the playoffs because you want those markets to be coming in and actually watching those games and the whole point is you want to see the best players in the world playing in the most important games so i feel like there is a disconnect here and that is on the league to start to recognize that there's a bigger problem here besides just people complaining about not enough calls being made against Connor mcdavid yeah that's the end of that conversation yeah (laughs) no seriously i really liked your points though because it brought perspective to me like especially that aspect of i keep talking about regular season versus playoffs as if it should be the way the regular season is but i'm not opposed to it being the way like that the playoffs are as long as it's consistent players (laughs) it's just not consistent that's the problem Mm -hmm. so yeah it is what it is at the end of the day but uh i do think that that comment as innocent maybe let's say as it might have been in the moment i feel like it does bring back that conversation of well maybe we need to have a conversation about the consistency in the league and i do think it falls on the league to have that conversation so we'll see if or ever (laughs) that is something that that changes like was it just like a a like a interview with john tortorella or did like Connor mcdavid uh, make a comment saying that he's not getting enough it's because Tortorella's on um, uh, NBC, like he or not NBC. He's on ESPN. ESPN or, now, yeah, I believe yeah. he's on ESPN. So it's because John Tortorella's on ESPN now, so he has a platform where he talks, so they can kind of quote him anytime they want. It yeah. certainly sounds like McDavid himself has complained about some of the issues, but also the Edmonton Oilers have been complaining about it, and mm-hmm. certainly after last year's playoffs, 
where everyone was talking about how in eight games he did not draw a single penalty. Yeah. It just seems ridiculous, right? To think about how skilled he is, how fast he is, how good he is at stick handling. There's just no way guys aren't taking penalties against him because For sure. guys can't keep up with him. He's just too good. So what are they doing? If he's not scoring four goals a game, they're obviously slowing him down or stopping him to a certain degree. And when it comes to the playoffs, unfortunately, I think people are getting away with a lot more. So it is what it is at the end of the day. But I do think that there was some complaints by just like McDavid himself, also the Edmonton Oilers, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just people around the league who are maybe on more like my side of, I think the playoffs should maybe reflect the regular season a little bit more as opposed to just, okay, we're in the playoffs. This is a completely different hockey game now with completely different rules, even though the rule book doesn't change. Yeah, no, it's, I yeah, no, I agree with you. I just, I wasn't sure where that uh, comment was coming from. If it was a response to Connor McDavid or Edmonton saying something um, recent, but yeah, no, I was just curious. Yep. Yeah, it came up because this year as well, he's, he's like pretty far down on the list of like players who have, like drawn penalty. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it came up this well, year. Well, maybe he's just so fast that when the player tries to <laughs> like, perform a penalty on him, he's already two feet ahead of them. He and just they skates can't. by him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think. Right? You he... try and slash him, but he's already so far, you miss, and you just hit the boards or something. And yeah, just, and, just but I think that's part no of the reason, reason why he's upset, right? Because he yeah. feels like people are able to slash him and hook him and cross-check him, and it's mm-hmm. not being called because he's so good. But, like he's worried he's going to get injured and imagine yeah. can you imagine if the Edmonton Oilers lost Connor McDavid right now like as good as Leon Draisaitl is there's no way they'd no, be in sure. first place That's... in that division right now if Connor McDavid was out right mm-hmm. so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens it's certainly a bigger conversation and at least brings up some conversation and some discussion and some debate and uh, clearly I think based on my conversation you can see where where I am on that yeah. uh, kind of side of it and we'll see what ends up happening here. Not well, to... I'm sure. I'm sure. Like I said in before, Edmonton has definitely made a case or making cases all the time after every game, pointing out examples to the league on how or like how this is a penalty. This should be a penalty against Connor McDavid or Leon Drysaddle or whomever. I'm sure they're making these cases, and the the league probably has explanations on some of them. But you know, hopefully, we'll see the game. Obviously, we want the game refed consistently, whether it's uh, for Connor McDavid or against Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner. I don't care. I'm just saying, I'm sure you want to just see when a penalty happens, a penalty is called. Not, uh, it may be called, may not be called. Who's who's on? Who's got the name on the back? Oh, then no, no penalty or whatever, right? Yeah. So we just want to see consistency, really. Yep, that is very true. But uh, anyways, we've talked about this for quite a while now, so we should probably move on to the next topic. And now let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. They went 3-1 and one this week, beating the National Predators, the New York Rangers, unfortunately losing to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and beating the New York Islanders. So Sean, any highlights that you wanted to point out for this week? Yeah, I mean, I think one important thing to kind of take away from this is kind of hard earned victories a little bit here. Like the Predators have been a tough team to play against. And in particular, when we played them, they had been playing very good hockey. So being able to score on UC Saros and get that win is important. 
beating good goalies has been something we've had difficulties in the past with. So beating Saros is good. And then following that up by beating Shesterkin and beating the Rangers 2-1 to one on Thursday night, that was also important, especially because earlier this season, Shesterkin, I would say arguably, but also pretty obviously stole a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. nice to actually beat him and actually get that win against that team. And then even the Islanders, we talked about it earlier, they have not had a great season, but we also played them at home. Like, sorry, we played them in New York, so at their new arena. So it was nice to be able to go in and get that road victory, which probably would have been a really loud and obnoxious group of people to play in front of. And I imagine John Tavares uh, was (laughs) getting quite a few (laughs) boos in that game too. So Must have been happy with the outcome at least. Yeah, so my takeaway would be some some hard-earned victories, and in those three wins, they scored eight goals and only let in one goal. So they had a goal differential of plus seven in those three wins. I was going to say all the games except for the Rangers game ended in a shutout. There's one team with a shutout. Yes. The Leafs got two of them. Unfortunately, they got shut out against the Penguins, but at least there was you know very low scoring, like you're saying. Yeah, that was, it was impressive. Honestly, very impressive. And, you know, the loss to the Penguins, I don't know. I feel like I'm just chalking this up to the the Penguins are our Achilles heel this year. (laughs) Like that game where they were missing everybody. They didn't have Crosby. They didn't have Malkin. They didn't have Carter. They didn't have... Yeah, Evan Evan Rodriguez, number one center for the Pittsburgh Penguins that game. They didn't have Latang. Yeah, they were basically missing their whole team. So, like you said, Evan Rodriguez, number one center. And they slapped us. Like, it wasn't even close. 7-1, seven, seven one, I seven, think. 7-1, one, maybe 7-2, but I think it was 7-1. Like, just not even close. Sure, it was the back-to-back, but who cares? They just didn't show up. Because even a game like that on a back-to-back, okay, you're going to lose to a team that's understaffed, fine. Don't give up seven goals. That's, that's next level. So I'm chalking it up to them just not being able to play well against the Penguins this year. And it is what it is. It's been you know, over a year at this point since they've even seen the Penguins because last year they played in the all-Canadian North Division and did not make it out of the North Division in terms of the playoffs. So they have not played American teams until this year. And so maybe it's just going to take a little bit of time. Sidney Crosby is still Sidney Crosby this past game. They beat us again. You know what? It is what it is. And we just move on from that because at the end of the day, they're 11-2 and in their last 13 games. 11. 22 points out of a possible 26 points. That is no, that's really, really good. really good for a team that was on a four-game losing streak before all this. Oh, yeah. Definitely we will trade that for the odd loss against the Penguins. Yep. <laughs> and speaking of trades, Marcus, you want to announce the trade that the Maple Leafs made? Yes. They traded for ex-Toronto Maple Leaf, Kyle Clifford. <laughs> He's, He's back. back. Um, yeah so in terms of what they gave up as far as I'm aware it's just future considerations so not anything officially named so it'll it'll probably just be some something small in the future but yeah so what ended up happening was Kyle Clifford was placed on waivers and he cleared waivers and then the Maple Leafs traded for him for the future considerations and Marcus you were explaining this to me just quickly before we have this conversation and why why did they trade for Clifford instead of just picking him up off waivers? So now his contract is eligible to be sent down and sent up as they wish without having to clear waivers. So once I believe once a player clears waivers, 
then they're eligible to be called up and called down without having to be to go back on waivers again. Right. His contract is now two way not waiver eligible. Is that for the the rest of the season or just for a certain amount of time? I want to say it's for the rest of the season, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Well, at least for a certain amount of time. And and that was important for them because they knew that they wanted to send him down to the Marlies. They knew that they were going to want to send him down to let him play a little bit more because from the sounds of it, he was not playing a whole lot in St. Louis. So it was it was nice to get that back. And from everything I'm hearing based on what I'm reading and seeing in terms of some of the media members in uh, in the hockey circles, it sounds like the reason they traded for Kyle Clifford is they're not sold on Nick Ritchie at this point. Nick Ritchie has been very disappointing for the Leafs up to this point, and they see Kyle Clifford as maybe somebody to light a fire under Ritchie's butt to say, hey, you know what? We found somebody who's also a bigger guy that has sort of a similar playing style to you, and if you don't start playing better, then maybe we're just going to plug in um, Kyle mm-hmm. Clifford instead of playing Nick Ritchie. So just something where I think maybe it was a little bit of insurance. And uh, as far as I'm aware, Kyle Clifford has a one-year, $1 million contract. So hopefully that $1 million is something that they're able to uh, to fit under the cap and all that. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Also of note, the Sunday game against the Islanders, Joseph Wool got his first shutout of his career. Woo! So that's really good to see. It's his second game, and he won it as well. He won his first game against uh, the Sabres. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they won 5-4 against the Sabres. Yeah, he won against the Sabres. Uh, that was his first NHL game, and now his second game, he got a shutout. So that's amazing to see. It's really good to see that a goalie that they have drafted and developed is uh, being productive in the NHL for them. Yeah. Finding for them, yes, I like, yes. I like that uh, very important. They, they drafted Tuka Rask. Yes, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, at the time, at the time, no, I mean, Justin Bogey you... was supposed to be the next big guy here, so it's unfortunate. Maybe they should have waited a little longer before pulling the trigger on that. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And you're right; mm-hmm. I think it's important to note this is somebody that's homegrown. This is somebody that's being developed by the Maple Leafs. So it's nice to see them have some success, especially with Peter Mrazek still injured and he's going to be out for a little while longer. So hopefully Mrazek gets back soon. I think a lot of people are maybe a little, I don't want to say upset, but they're certainly questioning maybe the three-year deal that he got, you know, a bit of the term that he got on this deal from the Maple Leafs, because if he is going to be injured this often, and unfortunately that is the history he has coming to the Maple Leafs, is that he is an oft-injured goalie. That three-year contract is going to be something that's difficult to offload on somebody else. Or, in particular, if he's hurt, we're just going to kind of have to eat that for a little while. But at the end of the day, it's only a three-year deal, and that means Joseph Wool will have the chance to come up in a couple years, and maybe he'll be able to take over that backup role once uh, once Mrazek's contract is up. This is all assuming that we re-sign Jack Campbell, and Jack Campbell remains the starter of the Maple Leafs, of course. That would be ideal. That that would be preferred. <laughs> I think <laughs> that most of us want that to happen. So, Or do we trade Mrazek as soon as possible? I just don't <laughs> see anybody taking him at this time. And the last thing the Leafs can do is retain any salary for the next three years. We got to give up our first. We got to give up our first. We can get out from under Peter Razik's contract. Yeah, I'm not even sure that would work because when we did that with Marlowe, Marlowe only had one season left. 
So the team that acquired him knew that it was only going to be that 6.75 mil for one season, and then they would have it off the books. Whereas for Mrazek, he has two more seasons left after this at 3.9 mil, I believe. Um, So that's a fairly significant cap hit for a 1B goalie. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just kidding. But, well, hopefully he'll return healthy and he can get some games under his belt and win some games put together a good season. So that, that's what I mean. That's ideal. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, I feel like because Jack Campbell is playing so well that people just don't care about Mrazek anymore. Like I feel like a lot of Leafs fans consider him expandable at this point, but I just mm-hmm. want to remind Leafs fans that he earned the three year, $3.9 million per season that he got. Cause he's a really good goalie. When he plays, he's a really good goalie. And even at the start of the season, there was a lot of conversations about this is probably a 1A, 1B situation. Knowing how good Jack Campbell is, is that people understood that Mrazek brought a lot of skill and talent to the position. So if he can come back and if he can be healthy, I think you're going to see a lot of Leaf fans understand and remember why this contract was given out to this player because he is a really good goalie, and I think that if he were to be able to play more consistently, you would see him picking up more wins, and you would see Leaf fans understanding the importance of having a good backup goalie and having a good 1B option in case anything were to happen to Jack Campbell. Or, we've mentioned this in the past too, Jack Campbell has never played 30 or more games in a season. So if he ends up playing 40 or 50 games and all of a sudden he's running out of gas, Later in the season, you're going to want somebody to take up a bunch of starts so that Jack Campbell is fresh come playoff time. Yeah. That, well, that's why they brought him in. So, yeah. unfortunately, we haven't had a, the opportunity to really get to see him play. So, yeah, I think you're right in that a lot of Leaf fans, including myself, kind of forgot you know, or feel that he's expendable, especially with the play of Joseph Wool as well recently. It's just, yeah, we're, we're forgetting the big picture or the main reason why is to also – to allow Jack Campbell to be fresh for the playoffs. Yep. No, absolutely. Joseph Wall is playing really good, but I also, Joseph Wall is still young. He needs a little more time to develop, in my opinion. I don't want to rush anybody up. Not that we rushed up Garrett Sparks, but I just don't want to rush up another goalie that we've developed and had in the system for a while and then have them lose the confidence and not be able to perform the way we want them to. So I think it would be good for Wall, especially the last two seasons with COVID and everything. There has not been a ton of games happening in minor league hockey and in different hockey leagues. So he probably has not developed as much as they wanted him to based on the lack of games that were available to him as well. Yeah, he and uh, Ian Scott, I think also who's another minor league goaltender in the Leaf system. Uh, they have, haven't um, had a good run in terms of health and being able to play games or get into games. So yeah, uh, it's good only... to see that he's been able to get into some here with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So exactly. And he's only 23. And have some success. He's young, especially yeah. for a goalie. Right. So we'll see what happens. But anyways, the next piece of news that comes out in terms of Maple Leafs fans that might be of interest is double Dion. Dion Phaneuf uh, officially announced his retirement. So that's something where he had over a thousand games played, which is amazing. And uh, just shy of 500 points in the regular season, including playoff points. He did actually cross over the 500 point mark, about 515 points. So he's like roughly a 0.5 point per game player throughout his career, which is really impressive for a defenseman. Um, who has played over a thousand games in the NHL. 
So kudos to him. I mean, certainly his time here in Toronto was maybe not the most fondly remembered by Leafs fans, just in particular because they really only had that one year of success and not much past that. So to be the captain, to be the face of the team, to be the guy that everybody looked up to. And I think it was certainly a a darker time in Leafs recent history. So he probably isn't remembered too fondly by most Leafs fans. But uh, certainly, if you look at his stats, you look at his numbers, almost, you know, 0.5 per game player over a thousand games in the league. You know, that's a respectable, uh, a very respectable career in the NHL. Yep. Congratulations to him for having played a thousand games in the NHL. I, I agree with what you said in that, you know, maybe his tenureship or his tenureship as a Toronto Maple Leaf isn't looked, isn't, isn't a bright moment in uh, Leafs history, but you know, he, 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 uh, he had a great start. I think he won or was, no, he didn't win, but he was a Calder nominee when he was on Calgary. He, you know, came out, I think he scored like 20 goals in his like first two seasons, um, on the flames. And I remember when he got traded to Toronto Maple Leafs, it was a big deal. Yeah. I think they traded Matt Stajan, um, Ian White, Ian White, think there's some other players in that trade it was a big trade was um, manny Nahotra in that trade too who's currently a coach for the leafs i i don't think so i think it was jamal mayers but i could be off oh, on okay. that as well but i i don't i don't remember the trade exactly but it was there was a, several pieces to that deal and yeah i mean obviously it's it's hard to follow matt sundin uh, uh as i think he was the captain after matt sundin so yeah that's definitely a hard act to follow. There's a lot of expectations there. And, you know, he didn't really have as much support or didn't have the supporting cast that you would have liked to see or that would have allowed more success for him and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yep. No, that is very fair. I just pulled up the trade here, by the way. So mm-hmm. Nicholas Hagman, Matt Stajan, Jamal Myers, and Ian White were the four players to go to the Flames. Mm-hmm. And the Leafs got Frederick Schustrom and also Keith Ollie, as well as Diafidev. There you go. So seven player trade. Yeah, that was big. Um, yeah. Anyways, so Leafs are looking good. Second place. They're only behind the Panthers, who are having an outstanding start to the season. But certainly, this is the Leafs team that we were hoping for. This is definitely the Leafs team that I picked to finish second place in the Atlantic Division. Even if Marcus said they would be fighting for a playoff spot and a wildcard spot against the Montreal Canadiens, and obviously he is <laughs> way off with that. Uh, you know, that's okay, Marcus. Way off for the good, for the better. You know, you hedged your bets. You said, ah, it's going to be a rough season for the Leafs. So if it is a rough season, I'm right. And if I'm wrong, they're doing really good. And I'm going to exactly. be happy either way. <laughs> exactly. So smart play, smart play. You definitely had less to lose. Whereas for me saying finishing second place, if they were less than that, not only would I be wrong, but I would also be extremely disappointed in the team's Unless performance. Unless they finish in first. <laughs> I hope they finish in first. But I, I picked Tampa to finish in first, actually, in this division. So we'll see we'll see if Tampa can bounce back. But I don't know if you saw the news today, actually. It sounds like Braden Point's going to be out for quite a while now. They, they said he's out indefinitely. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but that's crazy because uh, Kucherov is also out for a long time for them as well. So they're missing Point and Kucherov, which are two extremely important pieces uh, for that team. So 
For those of you wondering, yes, I did pick up uh, Anthony Sorelli because he is definitely going to be getting a lot more playing time lately. <laughs> and uh, I think he'll continue to put up a lot of points and get some more power play points maybe now that those guys are not around. Yeah, no big deal or anything. Maybe that's a good time, uh, good way to segue into our fantasy talk, Marcus. I think so. <laughs> I think so. All right, well, welcome to the Fantasy Corner. Uh, this week we are not doing Players of the Week. Why, Marcus? Why are we not doing Players of the Week? Because we're going to talk about our teams that we drafted seven weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> too little, too late? Nah. We decided. Everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to know, Sean, who we drafted. Well, I'll be blunt. Hundreds of questions. When are you going to guy? When are you guys going to list your teams? <laughs> Please, we want to know. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I'll so be, we're going to give it to the people. I'll be blunt and honest here. The reason I've been a little hesitant is because. Unfortunately, my team has not been performing uh, very well, and I am currently in eighth place out of 10 teams in my league. Marcus, I know that you're in sixth place out of the 10 teams in our league. So We're not taking our advice enough, Sean. I know. Yeah, I know. Neither of us are having a great season. You know, in our defense, this is an excuse, so take it or leave it, but this is the first time our league has actually turned into a keeper league, so both of us are kind of trying different strategies and figuring out what the best way is to maneuver managing a keeper league versus just a regular redraft league. So at least I'm using that as part of my excuse, Marcus, of holding on to guys for too long because I was maybe hoping that they would bounce back mm -hmm. and that I would be able to keep them for future years. But I think I should have been dropping guys from like week two onward. And I don't think I really started dropping guys till like week four. So that was my bad, and, you know, you live and you learn. No, I'm in the exact same boat. I haven't dropped anybody. <laughs> you just never know. If they have a yep. really big second half, you get to keep I'm them I'm going to keep year. everybody. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right, do we want to go based on rounds? Do you want me to do my team first and then your team second? Or I think we should go round by round. Round by round. Play okay. by play. We can highlight some other players that were drafted in that round, so then people just have some context. All right, so... We're going to go through our teams right now. We are going to kind of talk about our picks round by round and maybe just break down some of the guys that were taken near our selections as well. And, and maybe, uh, you know, just thinking back on who we should have taken versus who we actually ended up getting. So I had the sixth pick out of 10 and Marcus, you had the eighth pick out of 10, correct? Correct. All right. So with my sixth pick, I took Artemi Panarin. That's who I got in the first round. Right after me was Austin Matthews, and then uh, Marcus actually selected eighth. Who did you take, Marcus? Number eight, Alexander Ovechkin. Number eight, the grade eight with the eighth pick, uh, Alex yes. Ovechkin, and Patty Kane and Brad Marchand were taken as well. So in retrospect, uh, it certainly looks like I should have taken Alex Ovechkin instead of Artemi Panarin. <laughs> Uh, because, yeah, certainly Ovechkin is having a much stronger year than Panarin is in terms of points and production, uh, especially because our league is a banger league with hits and blocks too. So certainly uh, Ovechkin is bringing a lot more to the table. All right, next round, Marcus, you picked before me, so you go right ahead. Yep, following that, and with I had the third pick in round two. I selected Miko Rantanen. After my selection of Miko Rantanen was David Pasternak. And then it was my selection, and uh, I took Mitch Marner. So Mitch Marner, who 
is now starting to do very well and uh, clearly is producing points. But he certainly had a very slow start, which did not help considering my team had a very slow start as well. Maybe one of the notables here is with the 20th selection, uh, somebody, well, is the guy who picked first overall. So he had the first pick and then the 20th pick. He took Connor McDavid and then Sidney Crosby. So he got Crosby with the 20th pick. Now, having said that, Crosby was injured at the time. So we knew that he would be away for a little bit, but yeah, pretty big. And then going into round number three, my next selection was Brady Kachuk. Our league does not have plus minus, and also, as I mentioned, it's a banger league. So Brady Kachuk is actually one of the higher ranked, like ranked players in terms of what he brings for our specific league categories. So yeah, I got Brady Kachuk, who is a phenomenal player and actually has been doing well for me. But again, he was in that contract stalemate, so he ended up missing the first week and and a little bit, and it took him a bit of time to get back to the groove of things. So as you can see with Marner and then Kachuk, I and Panarin, I did have a bit of a slow start to my season. Correct. Uh, that definitely hurt <laughs> Yeah. for you. Yeah. Uh, next pick was Darnell Nurse, who I was actually hoping to pick, but obviously it was selected. So what do I do? I just take the other Kachuk and Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> <laughs> Can't let me have both. Nope. It'd be too powerful. <laughs> yes, yes. That would be way too powerful. You'd be in first place if you had both Kachuks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then what was your fourth round pick, Marcus? Yes, uh, fourth round. I wanted to select the player right before uh, in Victor Hedman was selected second in the fourth round. And then I selected Jonathan Huberdeau instead. Nice. Yeah, Huberdeau. And then Shesterkin was taken right after that. So in retrospect, Shesterkin is having a monster season, so that was pretty good. Um, I was not totally upset with my selection either. I got Jake Ensel, who's uh, left wing, right wing. But the problem for me, again, was that fact that Crosby was injured at the start of the season, which means Gensel was not playing with Crosby, and also Malkin was injured, so he was not playing with Malkin either. So Gensel's typically a point-per-game player and scores a lot of goals. Anywhere from 30 to 40 goals in a season is pretty standard over the 82-game span. But because the number one and number two center of Pittsburgh has been or had been away for a bit, that was also a player where now looking at my top five selections, every single one of these guys really did have a slow start to the fantasy season. So two weeks in, three weeks in, it was something where I was getting a little concerned, but I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't get rid of these guys because they were just too good. I knew eventually they would turn it around, but it just took a little bit too long, unfortunately, and dug myself a bit of a hole. That's why I'm in eighth place right now in the league. So round five, Sean, was there anybody that you wanted to pick that was selected before your selection or were you perfectly happy with who you got in round five? <laughs> um, honestly, I was perfectly happy with who I got. I certainly like your selection, but I'll wait for you to be able to explain that. I was really happy to get Alex to bring it in the sixth round. I mentioned this in a lot of our pre-drafts as well, the mock drafts that we did, but to plays with Patty Kane and to has not disappointed. He's got 11 goals already on the season and he's a left slash right wing. So I was pretty happy with that pick. I mean, in retrospect, directly before me again, last time it was Shesterkin, this time it was Jack Campbell. So it, those two goalies are obviously having phenomenal seasons, but I'm not upset that I missed on Tyler Sagan, Flurry, Shifley, and Wilson because I don't think any of them are having quite the season that Dabrinkit is. How about Kirill Kaprizov? Kaprizov is doing act. all right himself, <laughs> uh, but again, I'm actually not too upset because Dabrinkit's having a pretty good year for me. 
no, for sure, for sure. Just just curious, just curious. Um, so my selection, I think, um, so usually in our draft, I, I usually will have a conversation with Sean or he'll be on on the phone or on on some sort of messaging device and we'll just be talking throughout the draft. So we definitely bounce out, bounce ideas off each other. Um, you know, it's fair game where we're not going to hold back if someone said they're going to take him and they're available and we wanted them to, we'll take them. So one of these players that Sean and I were talking about was uh, he, Sean recommended him. So Elias Lindholm for Calgary. So I'm getting, I got that uh, Matthew Kachuk connection. So I'm really benefiting right now off uh, that duo. Yeah, Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk. You got both of them. They're having phenomenal starts to the season. And also don't forget that Johnny Gaudreau plays on that line. So that's mm. a stacked line. Yeah. <laughs> Lindholm, oh, yeah. Kachuk, and Gaudreau. Yeah, not not surprising that they're putting up a ton of points. So that's very sure. impressive. And then moving on to round six. So right before my selection was Frederick Anderson. That looks like a great pick right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't have the opportunity. So... I went with Neil Pionk, who's been doing pretty well for me. Um, probably my top defenseman, so Neil Pionk. Nice. That's solid. Yeah, up to this point, like this round six for me, here I took UC Saros, who is a really solid goaltender. So I'm really happy with UC Saros. Um, I've actually traded him since, which we can talk about in a bit. But the one thing I will mention is the few guys that were taken after him, David Perron, JT Miller, and Kyle Connor, all three of those guys are having phenomenal seasons right now. So any of those guys would have been pretty sweet picks for me. But UC Saros was the backbone of my team for the number of weeks that I had him. And also, just so you know, this was my strategy from the beginning. I told everybody that I like to take wingers early and often, and that's exactly what I did. So every single player up until round six was either a left wing, right wing, or a left slash right wing. And this is the first player that's not a winger that I took, uh, and that was goaltender UC Saros. And then uh, moving into the next round, round seven, I decided to take a defenseman. So you know me. I don't like taking centers until later in the draft. Here's where I took Drew Doughty, actually, in the sixth round, which... I was happy about in the context of getting somebody who ended up having a really hot start to the season, especially because a lot of players on my team didn't. But then once all the other guys started to pick it up a little bit, unfortunately, Doughty got injured for eight weeks and uh, I couldn't actually hold on to him because I had a couple other guys in the IR that I did not want to drop. So Doughty is still a free agent in our league. As far as I'm aware, I don't think anybody picked him up, but yeah, that was that was disappointing, especially because Ekblad went right before him, and I really wanted Aaron Ekblad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it always seems that way, right? Where you are waiting for one person to pick, and then they always take that person that you're trying to trying to get, right? Hey, in all fairness, like before Ekblad, <laughs> somebody took Jeff Petrie. So <laughs> Petrie's there was having... a run on defensemen. Morgan yeah. Riley was selected earlier in that round. I well. just meant that Petrie's having an awful season. So yeah. whoever took Petrie <laughs> is probably upset they didn't take Ekblad. <laughs> yeah, that is true. For me, I had the eighth pick in the in round seven. Uh, I selected my first center in Ryan O'Reilly. Well, straight center. Elias Lindholm is a center right wing. Boo. So I, yeah. Too early I, yeah, for a no. center, Marcus. Do you like that pick? It, no, he hasn't been doing too well. But <laughs> I, I wanted... I think the season prior, I, I had some very weak face-offs. So I wanted to kind of focus in on, on that category. And I, I thought Ryan O'Reilly would perform a little better than he has so far. And 
Um, you know, obviously I keep saying there's a, there's a lot of season left, so hopefully he can bounce back and start scoring some points, but he's definitely winning a lot of face-offs. He's probably averaging to like uh, 10 to 12 face-offs uh, per game. So he is, he is hitting what I wanted, but he's not doing everything else. <laughs> yep. And then uh, in the following round, round eight, uh, this is where I selected my first goaltender in Ilya Samsonov. I recently dropped him because I went with a two goalie tandem and with going with that strategy, I can't really afford to have a goalie spot starting every now and then. And unfortunately, up until when I dropped him, Ilya Samsonov was starting maybe one every three games or one every other game. Yeah, it was, it was so, truly a split there. Like Vanacek yeah. gets a lot of starts too. And it's, so it's a guy who doesn't actually get a ton of starts in terms of the number mm-hmm. of games played. He is 6-0-1 though, I believe, right? Yeah, and the last two games since Marcus dropped him, uh, <laughs> he has had two consecutive shutouts. And for those of you wondering, yes, Ilya Samsonov is on my fantasy team. So thank you very much, Marcus. I appreciate uh, you dropping him and letting me pick him up for those two shutouts. That was very kind Don't of worry. you. Don't it's, worry. It's just like last season where I, I gave you Thatcher Demko and, and then he took off. So maybe I should just give you all my goaltenders and then they'll take off and then maybe I'll, you can you can trade them back to me or, or, or something. Perfect. <laughs> you know what? Samsonov was a much better pick than the next very pick that happened. And uh, yeah, that was Philip Grubauer, who, if you remember, I told you to avoid because I did not think he would do well with a mediocre to downright bad team. So with my next pick after that, though, I took Ivan Provorov. That was a complete bust. Uh, as far as I'm aware, he's starting to pick it up a little bit over the last five games or so. So he might bring his name back up into the conversations again. But, oh, that was a brutal start for him. There was a lot of games with zero points and really not enough additional categories for him to stay on my team. So kind of regret that pick, if I'm being honest. There were some other guys taken afterwards, like Chris Letang and Alex Petrangelo and uh, probably could have gone with a different defenseman in that case. He's had three points in his last four games. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. I picked up Shattenkirk, so I'm good. There you go. He's he's having a great season. Yeah, so then with my next pick after that, I stuck with the defense. So I took Doughty Provorov, and then with my next, next pick, I took Jacob Chikrin uh, with my ninth round selection. And he also had a ridiculously slow start to the season in his first, like, 12 games, basically had zero points. Um, now he's starting to heat up. He's got five points in his last eight games. But at least he gets additional categories. Like he has over 60 shots on goal, which is incredible for a defenseman. And he also gets a lot of blocks, which is nice too. So he still provides value to me, even though he wasn't putting up the points. So hopefully now he heats up and uh, that'll be awesome for me moving forward. Yep. And of note, Jack Eichel was selected this round in our league. Round number nine with the first pick in round number nine. Steal. Steal for for keeper league mentality Mm -hmm. because he'll be able to keep Mm -hmm. that guy for a long time yeah uh my selection this round was uh thomas shabbat who hasn't been quite there offensively but he's got i think six assists so far so (laughs) not great (laughs) no (laughs) not i'm i'm hoping he'll do a little better yeah hopefully he'll bounce back for you but certainly not a good start yeah considering like quinn hughes was (laughs) drafted the round after in round 10 yeah, and he's and, got 14 uh, points. Yeah. <laughs> and But I, I selected right after the person who drafted Quinn Hughes, I selected Thatcher Demko, 
who's still one of my goaltenders right now. Yep. He's having a good season too. I mean, I was hoping he'd have redemption season. For yeah. Him. His numbers <laughs> were certainly better last year overall, but the one nice thing in terms of your strategy is he gets a ton of starts. So yeah. you wanted those, uh, those starts. I was really upset cause I wanted Charlie McAvoy. Uh, he was taken right before me with his selection, but as a keeper league, I decided to go with, uh, Evgeny Malkin. So this was my first center pick, my first center selection in the 10th round here. And uh, because I got him in the 10th round, the way our draft, our keeper draft league works is you give up the draft before. So he was a 10th round pick. So if I want to keep him next year, I would give up a ninth round pick. So I'm hoping that long term, at least for the next three to four years, this will be something that really benefits me because he hasn't actually played for me yet because he's still injured. But the guy right after was Cole Caulfield. So... I'm thinking that person is probably having some regrets in terms of uh, picking him up. And then I rounded out my top four in terms of defense. In the 11th round, I took Tori Krug. Krug was actually having a fantastic season as well, similar to Drew Doughty, where he was really hot to start the year. And then he got injured, plus he went onto the COVID uh, list. So unfortunately, he missed some time. He's back now. He's got two points in four games since returning, and he has been quarterbacking the power play in St. Louis. So I think he will continue to be a solid piece for me moving forward. And since he was an 11th round pick, I'll be able to give up a 10th round pick to keep him in next year's draft. So most likely that's the case, what uh, what I'll end up doing. Because in one of my trades that I talked about earlier, uh, I actually got a 10th round pick as well. So I have an extra 10th round pick. Nice. Following Sean's picking scheme, <laughs> I selected a defenseman as well. And Oliver Ekman Larson, who's who's been okay, <laughs> nothing to write home about. But no, only I was four hoping points. you know he'll have. Oh, sorry, only four points on the season. Yeah, yeah, he had a good start. Uh, I don't know, he's he's okay. He's a defenseman. <laughs> <laughs> he's a defenseman. That's all right. Yeah. Who did you take with your next pick? Yes, next round, round twelve. I selected another defenseman to round out my top four. Justin Falk, who's also okay. <laughs> so, not, so not the greatest picks yeah <laughs> not the greatest picks yeah in retrospect looking back now i mean at the end of the day like guys like Weger and klingberg went afterwards in terms of defensemen that you could have taken a look at probably the best one would have been warensky who went a few picks after you but klingberg's mm-hmm. also having a pretty disappointing season and honestly so is Weger, all things considered i think people thought he was going to kind of bounce out and, and maybe score a few more goals. He, he has zero goals on the year so far this year. So it is what it is. But Marcus, uh, following suit with that round, <laughs> I, <laughs> I selected uh, Kevin Fiala, who recently has been doing all right. He's got 12 points on the season now, three goals, nine assists. But he was also one of those guys at the start of the year when all of my top five selections were cold to start the year. He also came out and it was extremely cold so I had to drop him because I needed to get some new blood in on my team for guys that would actually get uh, some extra points but as I mentioned earlier I held on to him for too long because at the time I was thinking the strategy is oh wait it out it's a keeper league some of these guys you might want to keep long term I should have dropped Fiala within the first two weeks and I should have just moved on for him I waited too long Mm -hmm. I think I've I've fallen on the same curse as you Sean yeah, I mean, I've certainly we a have lot, a lot of the of same kind of issues yeah. moving forward. So it is what it is. Uh, with my next pick, by the way, in the following round, because I picked before Marcus in that case, uh, this is the 13th round. I decided to go with Cal Peterson, the goalie in uh, in L.A. 
And I was really hoping that he was going to end up getting a lot more games and becoming the starter. But unfortunately for me, Jonathan Quick decided that he was going to play like he's 25 again. So Jonathan Quick is having the season that I thought Cal Peterson was going to have. Uh, so unfortunately, I missed on that pick and have dropped him. Um, so he's no longer on my team. I was able to pick up uh, Elvis Merce Lincolns instead because he was a free agent in our league. So just a straight swap in that case. But I think it was the right call. I've since picked up Jonathan Quick. So he's one of my goaltenders right now. Peterson? Um, no, Jonathan Quick. Oh, Jonathan Quick. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Quick's having a great season. Yeah, I saw that. I so really was... thought that was going to be Peterson. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. And for my pick this round was uh, Pavel Buchnevich, the right wing on St. Louis. I still have him. Again, I should have probably dropped him earlier. He's starting to have a pretty good season right now. Or st- He came back from an injury, and he's starting to put up some points, but... Maybe I should have dropped him for some other players that were available. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. He's he's had a disappointing season, to be honest. I thought he was going to do a lot better. But what about your That's next okay. pick, Marcus? Yes. He's playing Continuing good tonight. On, I had selected uh, my fifth defenseman. This guy is kind of a keeper in my mind, especially in round 14, uh, Rasmus Dahlin. So he's definitely still very young. Uh, I think he's got two assists so far, two power play assists. Um, in tonight's game so that's that's good to see uh, definitely starting to produce some points especially because buffalo isn't doing too bad so but for me this was more of a keeper pick that i will carry on my team for the next couple seasons yeah never a bad idea to get a first overall defenseman on the team so um, i was looking at zach hyman in this slot but unfortunately he was taken right before me i ended up drafting sam reinhardt who had a great season last year in buffalo Uh, for a really bad Buffalo Sabres team. And I thought going to Florida would be an awesome transition for him so that he would be playing with a lot more skilled players. Unfortunately, Reinhardt is not having a very good season right now. In terms of overall, I thought he would be providing a lot more for me. He does have 11 points, so it's not like he's, you know, giving zero points on the season. But I was really thinking he was going to break out this year and be like a point per game player, potentially above a point per game player which would have been solid value in round 14. So I was a little disappointed with that, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. In retrospect, looking back now, guys like Claude Giroux and Jacob Markstrom were taken in this same round. So I really wish that uh, I had taken Jacob Markstrom instead. Yeah. Yeah. And then round 15, I took a shot at Joel Farabee, which I was the one preaching him throughout the preseason and talking about how he would have a nice season. So I... I took my own advice here and I regret taking my own advice here because Joel Farabee, who had six points in his first three games, has done pretty much nothing since then. He has one point after his first three games for seven points total on the season. So he was a guy who had six points in three games. I was really excited thinking I had a steal in the 15th round and it was all for naught. And in particular, the guy right before me took Radko Gudis. And in our league, we have hits and blocks. And uh, yeah, he's having a fantastic season um, in terms of hits and blocks right now. So that would have been nice. Yep, for sure. For sure. I'm, I'm definitely hurting on for hits and blocks. He though. has 82 I... hits this season. Already. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. So for me, round 15, I rounded out my centers. Definitely still looking. I was looking at for faceoffs. So I selected Bo Horvat who's uh, having a pretty good season, actually. Definitely producing better than Ryan O'Reilly. He's got five goals, five assists. And 
so far he's got 269 faceoff wins pretty good not bad at all and then in round 16 um the first pick of round 16 was vladimir tarasenko so that person got a, a sweet steal right there and my selection who actually is doing really well as well another center following sean's advice taking my centers later or tried to as uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. So he's he's had a really good season on Winnipeg. That is a steal, Marcus. 16th, you'll be able to give a 15th round pick to keep him for next year. That's yep. somebody who really broke out this year. So great job with that selection. Um, I really wanted Nick Backstrom. He was taken right before me in this round. I know he hasn't played yet, but I was thinking he would be somebody that would be a solid keeper moving forward, playing with Alex Ovechkin. Um, I ended up taking Matthew Barzal with this slot. I mean... Barzal's all right. Unfortunately, he doesn't get a ton of points because, number one, the Islanders are just not. Unfortunately, he doesn't get a lot of points because the Islanders are just not playing very well right now. And additionally, they're a very defensive-minded team. Um, I was kind of hoping to get a little bit more, but who was drafted two picks later was Nazim Kadri, who's having a fantastic season so far with the Colorado Avalanche, and he was actually a free agent. So I've since dropped Matthew Barzal, and I actually do have Nazim Kadri on my team. So in, at the end of the day, it's a bit of a wash for me, and if I want to keep Kadri for next year, all I got to do is give up a 15th round pick for him. Yeah, and then moving into the next round, this was the very last round for us, round number 17. These John, are the ones where... I was where, just going to say round 16... Right after Kadri was Sergei Bobrovsky. <laughs> yeah, Bobrovsky was taken in round 16. That's a solid one. Although, if we kind of go back to that whole mentality of one good season, one bad season, he might. Oh yes, that's true. So, he might not have the best yeah. year next year. But keeping him for <laughs> a 15th, you trade, yeah, you trade him now. Yeah, keeping him for a 15th round pick, I think, is a is a great idea. The problem with somebody like that is whoever has him is probably in a playoff push and probably doesn't want to trade him. Mm-hmm and probably wants to try to keep them for next year or so. But yeah, moving into round 17, this this was where a lot of people kind of took a little bit of, uh, I want to say a gamble, but maybe kind of looked at some guys who might be good down the line at potentially keeping them for years to come. So the first Definitely. pick off the board in round 17 was somebody like Trevor Zegras. So I think that's a fantastic pick in terms of looking ahead, and he's having a pretty good season this year, and you can tell he's going to develop into something nice. So this person might be able to keep him for years to come, and he's a center slash left wing. I had a similar idea, and I decided to go with Jack Hughes. So Jack Hughes was a number one overall pick for the New Jersey Devils, and he had you know a a slower start maybe uh, breaking into the NHL, but by all accounts, it seems like he has a lot of potential. Unfortunately, after getting three points in his first two games, he got injured, and he's been injured for the last five to six weeks. So. Um, that's somebody that I have been keeping on my IR beside Evgeny Malkin. So my two IR slots have been full basically the entire season, which is part of the reason why I had to drop Drew Doughty earlier in the year because I just couldn't afford to hold three guys on the IR for like five to eight weeks, depending on recovery time. Uh, but I decided to keep Jack Hughes instead because he was a 17th round pick and I can keep him for a 16th round pick next year. And if he does actually break out and become a true number one center, like a lot of people are projecting, then that might be a bit of a steal for me. So although as bad as my team is and as bad as maybe I drafted this year or just had bad luck with guys having slow starts, I do see potential here for Jack Hughes to be one of my later round guys that turns into something down the road. For sure. I think that's a very high possibility. I hope the best for him. Hopefully it pans out for you as well. So I need some um, luck, my last, Marcus. I need some yeah. good luck this year. <laughs> Especially after this season, yeah. 
<laughs> um, and my last pick in round 17 was Martin Nikes. I, I have dropped him since. Um, he was going to probably be my floater spot anyways. But I held him for a week, I think, just to see if he'd produce or anything. And I didn't see it there, so I, I have dropped him. That's fair. He's got 10 points this year, so it's respectable, but certainly not yeah. like point per game enough to you know kind of consider it but one person did get chris Kreider in the 17th round who has 13 goals this season and is a left slash right wing so that's a that would potentially be a pretty big steal if uh, they're Mm -hmm. able to keep him moving forward as well we have maximum five people that you can keep on the team so it just depends on who else that person might have moving forward So just to recap, I'm just going to go through my team very quickly. So I got Panarin, Marner, Brady Kachuk, Gensel, Dabrinkit, Saros, Doughty, Provorov, Chikrin, Malkin, Krug, Fiala, Peterson, Reinhardt, Farabee, Barzal, and Jack Hughes. So a lot of slow starts and a lot of guys that were duds. So unfortunately, this was not one of my best drafts. Marcus, what about your team? Yeah, so my team, I've got... I had drafted Ovechkin, Rantanen, Kachuk, Huberdeau, Lindholm, Pionk, O'Reilly, Samsonov, Shabbat, Demko, Ekman Larson, Falk, Buchnevich, Darlene, Bo. Oh, I don't know why I said Bo Horvat, but <laughs> Horvat, uh, Dubois, and Nikas. So, yeah, since then, I don't know about you, Marcus, but my team looks very different. A lot of the guys that I drafted are no longer on my team including my goaltenders. I have three new goaltenders that I did not draft. And basically, I kept some of the guys that I wanted to as keepers. So like Malkin and Jack Hughes are still on my team. But otherwise, I've dropped significant amount of those players. I picked up guys like Kadri Norris. Boone Jenner is having a really good year. Drake Batherson I got in a trade. Bouchard and Shattenkirk on defense I picked up because my D sucked. Um, And I picked up Anthony Sorelli. So this team is looking very different. And I was also able to make a trade for Elias Sorokin, who I'm going to try to keep for a few years to come to see if he ends up getting a little bit more playing time for the Islanders. I picked up Merz Lincolns and I picked up Sam Sonoff for Marcus. So thanks for the (laughs) shout outs, Marcus. You're welcome. You're welcome. For myself, my team hasn't changed too much. I'm still kind of in that wait and see mode, which probably shouldn't be. Uh, I've since picked up Barzal but I'm planning on dropping him this week anyways and I picked up Jonathan Quick so my team hasn't changed too much to be honest (laughs) sticking to your guns (laughs) yeah yeah I've made significant changes and I'm actually upset that I didn't make changes sooner so I've kind of revamped this team and at this point I'm looking at guys that I could potentially keep moving forward and otherwise I'm just gonna get rid of anybody who's not a top 100 rank and pick up guys who are in the top 100 rank and go from there. And one of the fun things or why we wanted to like point out our teams uh, is that this week, Sean and I are playing against each other. So we'll definitely update you on who won uh, this week in fantasy next next podcast. Bring it, Marcus. <laughs> well, I'm winning 6-2 right now, but it's it's literally one night or one, one hey, day's game. you know game what, Mr. Ryan game, O'Reilly, so. I drafted for face-off wins. One of the two categories I'm winning right now is face-off, so suck it. That's okay. He got me 11, and Pierre-Luc Dubois got me 9, so I'm, I'm okay with that for now. Yeah, that's okay. You're, you're, winning, you're winning 29 to 26. Yeah, yeah. Feels good, though. Feels really good. 
Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Sorry it was a little bit longer this time because we decided that we want to go through our teams and that was something that took a little bit longer than anticipated. So thanks for listening. We really appreciate your support. And if there's anything you ever want us to talk about, please let us know. We're more than happy to take requests or discuss things uh, that you might want to hear about. So thank you very much from both of us. Marcus, thanks. Have a great night. Thank you, Sean. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Faceoffs Fantasy. Yeah, nice plug. uh, Have an excellent week, everybody. Bye. Bye.